إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد so carrying on then where we left off in Kitab al-Tawheed of Sahih al-Bukhari. We come to the narration now where Al-Imam al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ مُحَمَّدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الرَّزَّاقِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا مَعْمَرِ عَنْ هَمَّامِ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ عَنْ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم قال بينما أيوب يغتسل عريانا خر عليه رجل جراد من ذهب فجعل يحثي في ثوبه فنادى ربه يا أيوب ألم أكن أغنيتك عما ترى قال بلى يا ربي ولكن لا غنى بي عن بركتك You remember we're in the chapter regarding the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, kalamullah, and that nobody can alter or change the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody can deceive, distort, alter the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this whole chapter, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, has been mentioning evidences regarding the speech of Allah, regarding Kalamullah, various narrations, ahadith, ayat, all affirming the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here what you have in the next few narrations are further examples to supplement the examples that have already been mentioned regarding the speech of Allah. You'll notice in these next few narrations, the explanations are brief. As Shaykh Al-Thaymeen gives brief explanations for some of the hadith coming up now. Because, as we mentioned before, these chapters here are not about giving the explanations of all the hadith. These chapters are about picking out the, the points, the evidences from those hadith to explain the point that is being made. And the point being made right now is regarding the speech of Allah. So you'll see in these narrations coming up now more evidences for that. In this narration it mentions how Ayyub, the Prophet Ayyub السلام, was taking a ghusl naked and locusts of gold began to fall upon him. So he began gathering them in his thobe. So then his Lord called out to him, O Ayyub, have I not sufficed you from what you see? 
He said, of course, my Lord, but there is no sufficiency from your blessings that we cannot suffice ourselves separate and independent of your blessings upon us. And that is something which we know and understand. The servants of Allah, we are all in poverty before our Lord. We are all in need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all of our affairs. We, if we were left to our own devices, even the moment of the blinking of an eye, then we would not be able to suffice ourselves without Allah. And that's why when you read some of the chapters regarding Tawheed, the chapters regarding wearing amulets, wearing talismans, wearing other types of equipment that a person believes gives him barakah, gives him protection, gives him aid and keeps away harm. When you read all of those chapters and the impermissibility of those things, one of those items, or a few of those items, their names in Arabic, they indicate this meaning, that the one who believes he has sufficiency in those items, then Allah does not give him any sufficiency. For example, the tamimah, one of the meanings the scholars they mention is something that completes your affairs for you. It brings the good to you. It keeps the harm away from you. This amulet or whatever it is you're wearing as they believe incorrectly. So then in the explanations it mentions that Allah will not complete the affairs of that person for him. If he believes this item will complete his affairs for him and perfect his affairs for him. La atamma Allahu la. Allah will not complete and perfect his affairs for him. So here, in this narration, Ayyub making the ghusl naked and these gold locusts, they fall upon him, so he begins collecting them. But the point of the narration you see here, فَنَادَى رَبُّهُ His Lord called out to him. So Allah called out to Ayyub, have I not sufficed you from that which you see? And he says, yes, my Lord, but there is no sufficiency away from your barakah. And that is also one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that indicates that Al-Qayyum. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. The name of Allah, Al-Qayyum, means what? What does it indicate? The name Al-Qayyum. What does it mean? 
Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-Hayyul Qayyum. You read that every day. So what does it mean? Technically, everybody should have some idea of what it means, or you should definitely want to know what it means, because reading Ayatul Kursi, it is something which is established in the Sunnah to be done every day, to be done after each prayer, and to be done in the morning, and to be done in the evening and to be done before sleep because it gives you a protection overnight from the shayateen until you arise but bear in mind all of those narrations that talk about if you read this or read that then it's a protection for you for the day or for the night and protection for you from this or from that all of those narrations that mention reading certain du'as uh, in order to then receive the protection of Allah, like Ayatul Kursi, reading it before going to sleep, and then that gives you protection overnight. The impact and the effect of that occurring is dependent upon certain factors. It's dependent upon the iman of the person. His trust in Allah that if he recites this, he is implementing the revelation Allah has given us. And that certainly the promise of Allah is true. His iman in Allah that Allah will certainly send protection for him overnight. Absolute aqidah and iman in that. On top of that, you've actually got to understand what it is you're reading. You have to understand what it is you're reading. It is not just a case of read Ayatul Kursi at night and you have the protection. A person is reading it and has no idea what he's reading and what it means. Then that vastly takes away the impact that is mentioned. The impact of these du'as, of these supplications, it is upon you understanding what you're saying. If you don't understand what you're saying, then the impact is vastly reduced from what it is. So, Al-Qayyum is mentioned in that. Al-Qayyum, two main meanings. For the name of Allah, Al-Qayyum. That He is the one who is self-sufficient. He is the one who is self-sufficient. Allah is not in need of anyone, anything. Allah is completely self-sufficient. The second meaning, that Allah gives sufficiency to others too. Allah, He is self-sufficient, not in need of anyone or anything. But then on top of that, He is the one who provides sufficiency to the creation. Without Allah providing us that sufficiency, providing us that those blessings and that mercy of Allah upon all of what we have, our sustenance, our provisions, without Allah providing us that sufficiency, we could not be self-sufficient. So Allah is Al-Qayyum, 
the one who is self-sufficient and provides sufficiency to his creation. So in that narration, the point was that فَنَادَى رَبُّهُ His Lord called out to him, affirming the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then after that, Imam al-Bukhari mentions the famous hadith that many will be aware of. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِسْمَاعِيلِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي مَالِكِ عَنِ بْنِ شِهَابِ عَنَ بِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ الْأَغَرِ عَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةِ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ يَتَنَزَّلُ رَبُّنَا تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى كُلَّ لَيْلَةٍ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا حين يبقى ثلث الليل الآخر فيقول من يدعوني فأستجيب له من يسألني فأعطيه من يستغفرني فأغفر له That the Prophet said Our Lord descends every night to the lowest heaven when the last third of the night remains. And then he says, Who is calling upon me and I will answer them? Who is asking of me and I will give them? Who is seeking forgiveness from me and I will forgive them? This is a hadith indicating that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends to the lowest heaven to the earth every night in the last third of the night, when the last third of the night remains. And then says, who is calling upon me and I will answer them? Who is asking of me and I will give them? Who is seeking my forgiveness and I will forgive them? This is why the Prophet ﷺ used to strive in the last third of the night and we have been encouraged to strive in the last third of the night. It is one of the times that is blessed. One of the times where the dua is more likely to be answered. A time for prayer, a time for dua. A time for obedience and worship. It is a blessed time that a Muslim should strive to take advantage of. So in the hadith, it mentions that Allah descends. وَفِيهِ قُوَّةُ الرَّجَعِ وَقَدْ شَرَحَهُ شَيْخُ الْإِسْلَامِ بْنُ تَيْمِيَّ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهِ في كتاب مستقل شرحا وافيا There is a book by Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah an independent small book where he explains this hadith explains the hadith of Allah descending in the last third of the night and that it's a time where the dua is more likely to be answered So in the narration it mentions يَتَنَزَّلُ رَبُّنَا 
and in another wording, Yanzilu Rabbuna. And it says, Tabaraka wa ta'ala. What does it mean when we say, Allah, Tabaraka wa ta'ala? What does Tabaraka mean? Allahu Tabaraka wa ta'ala. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is plentiful in his baraka. That Allah is plentiful in his baraka. And that baraka arises with his name. And that is one of the meanings of saying Bismillah in the name of Allah. You are seeking baraka in your affair. You are seeking baraka in what you do. So you begin it in the name of Allah. And as for saying Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala, that Allah is the most high, meaning the most high from any deficiencies, any shortcomings, any faults, that Allah is far removed and the most high from any deficiency or shortcoming. Allah has no deficiencies or shortcomings. He is the most high in every regard. So, يَتَنَزَّلُ رَبُّنَا إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا That Allah descends to the lowest heaven. And we've mentioned before that there are different levels of these skies of the heavens that go up. And so Allah descends to the lowest heaven to this earth. كُلَّ لَيْلَةٍ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ الدُّنْيَا حِينَ يَبْقَى ثَلَثُ اللَّيْلِ الْآخِرِ And that occurs in the last third of the night, the few hours before Fajr, in the final parts of the night. It mentions here, يَنْزِلُ رَبُّنَا فَالنُّزُولُ مُضَافٌ إِلَى الرَّبِّ وَالْفِعْلُ الْمُضَافِ إِلَى اللَّهِ يَكُونُ فِعْلًا وَاقِعًا مِنَ اللَّهِ يَجِبُ فَكُلُّ فِعْلٍ أَضَافَهُ اللَّهُ فَهُوَ فِعْلٌ وَاقِعٌ مِنْهُ وَهَذَا وَاجِبٌ لِأَنَّ هَذَا هُوَ ظَاهِرُ اللَّفْظِ So here it mentions the verb to descend and that is associated directly to mentioning of Allah Himself. Allah descends. When you have a verb attached like that directly in reference to Allah, then it means that it is an actual action that occurs from Allah. So Allah descends, i.e. Allah descends. Not that Allah sends something else to descend, Allah descends Himself. Because the people of innovation who reject the names and attributes of Allah, they reject that Allah descends. They reject that. And they say, no, it is the angels of Allah that descend. Allah sends the angels to descend. Or, that Allah sends His Amr, His command to descend. Or that Allah sends His Rahma to descend, His mercy to descend. Anything 
except that Allah descends himself. Any distortion they can come up with, Allah sends the angels to descend. That's what the hadith means. Allah sends his mercy to descend. That is what the hadith means. Allah sends his command to descend. That is what the hadith means. All of these distortions that they make up when the reality is the hadith says Allah descends. And that means Allah descends. If it was any of these other distortions of theirs, then when you look at them, it becomes so obvious so easily and quickly how distorted and false their claims are to say that it is the angels that descend. That is obviously incorrect by the wording of the hadith itself because the hadith says at the end, that Allah descends in the last third of the night and then says, who is asking me and I will give them? Who is uh, uh, calling upon me and I will answer them? Who is seeking forgiveness and I will forgive them? Do we seek forgiveness and make dua to and ask for our affairs from the angels? And do the angels then answer our duas and give us forgiveness and mercy? If you take the distorted claim of the people of innovation that the hadith means the angels of Allah descend, then it's the angels who are saying, who is calling upon me and I will answer, who is seeking forgiveness and I will forgive. That's the angels talking then. And that would be shirk, calling upon the angels, making dua to the angels. And that is exactly what the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet ﷺ used to do. Amongst them, those who used to call upon the angels, making dua to the angels. So we know it cannot be the angels. So they say it's the mercy of Allah, or the command of Allah that descends. How could you rebuke that? Very simply and straightforward as well. without even needing evidences and going into detail, but some clear logical flaws in their interpretations. They say in the last third of the night then, it is the angels, or it is the uh, mercy of Allah or the command of Allah that descends. Firstly, you could say the same thing, how do the mercy and the command of Allah come and say, who's asking and will give them, who's seeking forgiveness will forgive them. The mercy of Allah and the command of Allah don't do that. But then on top of that too, so the scholars, they said, if you claim that the meaning here is the mercy of Allah descending, then does that mean Allah only has mercy upon us in the last third of the night? The rest of the night and the rest of the whole day, no mercy of Allah is coming upon us? We would not survive. No mercy of Allah upon us the whole day, the whole night, except the last third only. That's the only time Allah sends His mercy upon us. That cannot be. The command of Allah only comes in the last third of the night. No command of Allah occurring the rest of the time. Allah is the one who controls all of this universe, all of the affairs and everything that occurs to claim that the command of Allah comes only in the last third of the night or the mercy of Allah despite seeing the mercy of Allah in every moment, everywhere, 
you claim that it's only the last third of the night that the mercy of Allah comes, clearly these are distortions and these are false. So it is Allah that descends in the last third of the night. Then there is an issue that some of the people they bring up. Previously we've discussed that Allah is where? Where is Allah? That Allah is above all of the heavens, all of the creation, above the arsh, the throne. So now we're saying that in the last third of the night Allah descends to the lowest heaven. And we've said before that Allah is above all of the creation, above the throne. So what do some people then say? They will say, does that therefore mean that when Allah descends in the last third of the night, the throne is now vacant? That is their intellect and what it brings. That if Allah is above the throne, but then in the last third of the night Allah descends to the lowest heaven, then is the throne at that moment empty? So if somebody says that, a Shaykh Al-Athameen answers that we say to this person, this question of yours is a bid'ah. This question of yours is a bid'ah. هذا السؤال bid'ah. لو كان هذا من الدين أي لو كان علمنا بكونه يخلو منه العرش أو لا يخلو من الدين يخلو منه العرش أو لا يخلو من الدين لكان ذلك مبينا قبل وفاة الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم The simple answer is Our religion is based upon what sources of knowledge? The Quran, the Sunnah, upon the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. Quran and Sunnah with the understanding of the Salaf of this Ummah. And that point is critical because it distinguishes Ahlul Sunnah from Ahlul Bid'ah. Ahlul Bid'ah, the people of innovation, they all claim. Quran and Sunnah, the Khariji who goes and blows up and kills, claims he's doing it upon Quran and Sunnah. The Sufi upon shirk and tawaf around the graves, Quran and Sunnah we follow. Yet can any of them claim it is Quran and Sunnah upon the way of the Salaf of this Ummah? None of them. Only the Salafiyun Ahlul Sunnah are upon the Quran and the Sunnah upon the way and the methodology of the Salaf of this Ummah. So now when it comes to this issue, we've talked about Allah being above all of the creation, separate and distinct from this creation, above the throne. Now we're saying, as it is proven that Allah descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night. So now then, does that mean that the throne is empty at that time because Allah has descended? We can say, firstly, that this question of yours is a bid'ah. 
because this question of yours is not a means of gaining closeness to Allah. It is not a type of knowledge that gains you closeness to Allah. If a person is genuinely claiming he's asking the question, genuinely, then that means he's asking the question, believing that the answer will give him some knowledge that will essentially improve his iman and his connection to Allah, that it will increase him in knowledge and worship and obedience. That's the whole point of beneficial knowledge. So now if he's claiming this knowledge is going to improve him in religion in some way, then that's false. How do we know that is false? Because those who are greater in their religion than us never asked this question. The Sahaba never went to the Prophet and said to him, O Messenger of Allah, but does that mean then the throne is empty at that time? Or do you think that this thought only came to you and you are more intelligent and you thought of that and that thought never came to anybody before you? Of course that thought may occur, but did they go to the Prophet and inquire about that and explore that? No, they did not. That indicates something to you. The Sahaba were the most keen and the most striving in finding out about the details of their religion. They would not let something pass. They would go to the Messenger of Allah and inquire about the affairs of their religion. The fact that they did let certain issues pass and they never went and asked the Prophet is important and it's a point of evidence. It shows that they understood and they knew that this particular point is not a point of religion. It is not a point that we need to go and ask about and delve into and explore. It is not a point of religion. It is not a point that we are required to know to gain closeness to Allah. That's why they didn't go and inquire about certain affairs. And that is a point to be made. If anybody says, no, that's not, that's not logical, maybe, maybe they wanted to know, but they just didn't ask. Maybe they were shy. Maybe they were this, maybe they were that. Those are accusations against the Sahaba you cannot make. You cannot make accusations against the Sahaba that they wanted to know about something, but they just didn't go and ask because of this, that, the other. You're accusing the Sahaba of something that they are free of. The Sahaba, they went and asked when they wanted to know or they needed to know about their religion. You cannot accuse them of purposely not asking about something religious, even though they knew they wanted to know and they wanted to ask, but they didn't ask. That's an accusation against the Sahaba. They didn't ask because they knew they didn't need to go and ask. They knew there was nothing to ask about there. It's not a religious point that we need to delve into or explore. It's not something that Allah has given us knowledge of or that we are held accountable upon in terms of our religion and iman. Is the throne empty or not? So they knew that and that's why they never went and asked. Not because of shyness or anything else. Look at the examples of the female companions. Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned about them. The female companions, 
Liansar, the women of the Ansar, Ni'ma Nisa'al Ansar. She said, how good are the women of the Ansar? Lam yakun yamna'ahunna haya'uhunna min yas'alna an umuri dinihinna. Their shyness never used to prevent them from asking about the affairs of their religion. And that is in relation to them going and asking about their periods, asking about the blood which falls onto their clothes from their periods, intimate affairs. But they knew these affairs have a direct connection to their ibadah, to their worship, to their purification, to the acceptance of their prayer, etc. So they knew they have to ask. So they would go and ask about these intimate affairs. Maybe they would ask via another who would go and ask. Maybe they would ask from the females, Aisha, etc. But they would go and they would ask. They would go and they would ask. Shyness did not prevent them from asking about even the intimate affairs. Because they knew these affairs are affairs of religion. So what therefore of these types of issues of aqidah? Do you really think the Sahaba would not go and ask if this was something important to ask about? Certainly they would have. So the Shaykh, he highlights, it's a bid'ah for you to get into this. Do you think you are superior to the Sahaba? They never went into this, but you now think you're better and superior and greater knowledge and you have to go into this? So that is not something that Allah has revealed to us. It is not something that we are required to have knowledge of. And remember, Allah said, وَمَا أُوتِيتُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا We have not been given from knowledge except a small amount. We don't have knowledge of everything. Allah has given us a certain amount of knowledge, a certain amount of knowledge, and we are tested now in this life upon that knowledge we've been given. Will we practice it? Will we practice our religion upon that knowledge or not? We've not been tested to go and find out about knowledge that Allah hasn't given us in the first place. We are not tested upon knowledge that Allah hasn't given us in the first place. And that's why when it comes to the names and attributes of Allah, then the deviance of the people is so great due to them crossing that boundary in Delving into affairs that Allah has not given us knowledge of in the first place. We've mentioned many a time with the names and attributes of Allah. Allah has not told us of the the cave. How even with this now can we say how does Allah descend to the last uh, to the lowest heaven? How does Allah descend? Cannot say that, bid'ah. We do not know that Allah hasn't given us details of how. But Allah told us He does that. So we believe Allah descends in the last third of the night to the lowest heaven. How? We don't know. And that's why that narration you hear sometimes from the people of innovation, where they say that Ibn Taymiyyah went on top of the mimbar stood up on top of the member and then he walked down the member physically walked down the member Ibn Taymiyyah and then when he got to the bottom he said to everybody just like I descended from the member 
That is how Allah descends in the last third of the night or how Allah descends generally. That is obviously clear resemblance. You're making clear resemblance. You remember the four prohibitions. No rejection, no distortion, no asking of the how, the description, and no resemblance. They say Ibn Taymiyyah even did that. He said Allah descends like I'm descending now from this member. I'm descending. This is how Allah descends. That's what they claim the Sufis. That Ibn Taymiyyah even did that. The reality is as the scholars, the historians, they looked into this narration of this individual who claims that he was passing by and he came across the mosque of Ibn Taymiyyah and he saw Ibn Taymiyyah do this. They looked into all of that narration and when this person claims that happened, in what year, what time, etc. And they discovered that at the particular date stamp, the time and the year, this individual claims to have seen Ibn Taymiyyah coming down the mimbar and claiming that Allah descends just as I descended. That time, the date, the year he claims to have seen Ibn Taymiyyah do that, Ibn Taymiyyah was actually in prison at the time. He was in prison at the time. So it showed absolutely blatantly the lies of this individual making these claims against Ibn Taymiyyah. He never saw Ibn Taymiyyah do that because at the time he himself says he saw Ibn Taymiyyah do that. At that time Ibn Taymiyyah was in prison. So these are lies that they make. We believe Allah descends to the lowest heaven in the last third of the night. We believe that it is Allah himself, not the command or the mercy or anything else. We don't go into saying, does the throne become vacant then? And neither do we go into saying any other type of speech, philosophical speech. And we've mentioned some of these examples before, where some people may begin to say, this can't be that Allah descends in the last third of the night, because somewhere in the world is always the last third of the night. Right now, we're in the first third of the night. But somewhere... Somewhere across the world, somewhere to the east of the world, right now they will be in the last third of the night because they've already gone past the time zones, everybody's aware. You go across and they've already ahead of us. They are several hours ahead of us. So somewhere across on that side of the world, There'll be a strip of countries who are already right now in the last third of the night. And that last third of the night is continuously moving around. Always the last third of the night somewhere in the world. Absolutely. So then the people of innovation begin to say, Ben, how does that work? Last third of the night is always happening somewhere. Does that mean therefore that Allah is always descending and so Allah is never above? Again, all completely philosophical type of speech that the shaitan has whispered to them to confuse them beyond the texts. The texts, they tell you that Allah descends. So when it's the last third of the night for us here, 
We know at that time, it is the time of dua, the time of prayer, the time where the dua is more likely to be answered when it's the last third of the night here in our time zone. We know that. And we believe in that. And that's our aqidah. But as for the philosophers and the people who have fallen away with their minds, then they go into all of this philosophy which the shaitan whispers to them, taking them away from the reality of the texts, what's clear for them, that you need to be worshipping in the last third of the night, and your prayer is more likely to be answered, your dua more likely to be answered. They ignore all of that with their philosophy. So the Sheikh says, these types of issues, if they were important, if these types of issues were important, then certainly the Prophet ﷺ would have explained them to us before dying. Allah told us in the Qur'an, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ Your religion, I have completed it for you. But if the Prophet ﷺ never told us about the last third of the night always being somewhere, and therefore is Allah always descending, and is the throne empty then when Allah descends, the Prophet never told us about those things. Does that mean therefore he left the religion incomplete? Certain pieces of information like those details there he never told us? If you say that he never told us those things but we need to know and we need to discuss them, then you're claiming that the religion is incomplete. And if you claim that, then you're not understanding clearly the ayah in the Qur'an where Allah has said, the religion is complete. The religion is complete and the Prophet never went into these types of details indicating those details are not from the religion. If they were from the religion, then they would have been told. The Prophet ﷺ would have explained them. Also, does it mean that if Allah descends, this is a contradiction to Allah being the Most High? Then again, the answer is no. The fact that Allah is the Most High, that is an everlasting attribute to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is always the Most High. There is never a situation that Allah isn't the Most High. That cannot be. Allah is the Creator, the Lord, the Most High, always. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, always. Never is there going to be a situation where you can say Allah isn't at this time the Most High. That's impossible. So Allah is always the Most High. And it is not ever to be said that Allah is not the Most High. So this is one of those situations, again, when the scholars have said, Allah hasn't given us any more details and you don't need to go into any more details. Allah descends in the last third of the night, but He is the Most High. He descends in the last third of the night and He is the Most High. They say, because the one who told you that Allah is the Most High, and who told us that Allah is the Most High? Allah Himself. He is the one who also told you that He descends in the last third of the night. Allah is the one who told us He is the Most High. He is the one who told us He descends in the last third of the night. And Allah is the one who is most knowledgeable of Himself. So the problem here people have is, they want to delve in at a level that Allah hasn't given us knowledge of. We've not been taught to delve in beyond that level that we've been given in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The Sahaba never did. 
Never will you find from the Sahaba going into these types of details that all these philosophers now go into. All of these people of innovation now go into. They say, okay, what about this and what about that? Say to them, why did the Sahaba never say what about this and what about that? Why did the Sahaba never go to the Prophet and say to him, but what about this though? What about the fact that it's always the last third of the night somewhere? What about the fact that Allah is the Most High, but if He descends, then is He not the Most High? Why did the Sahaba never go and ask these questions? Because they knew these questions are not from religion. These people now bringing these questions out, then they are bringing out things that are not from religion, not ever explained to us by the Prophet never questioned by the Sahaba, but these innovators now following their desires are the first ones to bring out all of these questions and to bring out all of this false logic. And that's why they find it so difficult to simply accept what is in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, to simply accept the names and attributes as they are. So it's in the last third of the night. And when does the night begin? How do you work out the last third of the night? When does the night finish? At Fajr, so when does it begin? After Maghrib. That is what is mentioned. Some scholars do say that the night calculation is worked out from Isha. It is an opinion of some scholars that the calculation is worked out from Isha. But here, as Shaykh al says, it is worked out from Maghrib. From the time of Maghrib. So, for example, these days, if you do it now, the time of Maghrib is when? Exactly what you have these days now, 6.30, let's say. Time of Fajr, 5 a.m. So, do the maths. How many hours is that from Maghrib to Fajr? Ten and a half, 6.30 to 5 a.m. Ten and a half. So now you have to divide 10.5 by 3. Is that a long equation? Does that class as a long equation? Three and a half hours? Three and a half. Add three and a half is how much? Seven. Add another three and a half? 10.5. So one third of the night is 3.5 hours. Therefore you delete, you subtract... Not delete, subtract, <laughs> subtract from 5 o'clock, that wasn't a trick question. So subtract from 5 o'clock, take away from 5 o'clock, 3.5 hours, 30. 5.30 take away 3 is, five. Uh, sorry, 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock take away 3 is 2, but you still got another half to take away, One thirty. So therefore, these days, the last third of the night begins at, give or take, 1.30 a.m. So from 1.30 a.m. to Fajr is your last third of the night. You had something to ask? Uh, what clarifies at night? What do you mean? Uh-huh. 
the ghurub because of that reason. Maybe you could mention that as an evidence. The evening adhkar, the adhkar that are done in the evening time, the night time, they begin around about the time of Maghrib, so that would indicate this is the beginning of night time too. You could mention that as an evidence. But the Shaykh says here, by consensus and by text, the night time begins at Maghrib. And that is a clear evidence. Complete your fasting until the night time. And we know the fasting ends at the night time, which is Maghrib. So therefore from Maghrib, so يَحْصُلُ بِمَاذَا بِغُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ بِالْاتِّفَاقِ وَبَلْ بِالنَّصِ And there are other evidences too. إِذَنْ إِبْتِدَاءُ اللَّيْلِ مِنْ غُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ وَلَا إِشْكَالَ فِيهِ لَكِنْ إِنْتِهَاءُ اللَّيْلِ There is also an issue though. If we now agree that the beginning of the night is Maghrib, when is the end of the night? Is it, as we've just said on that calculation, when Fajr time begins? Or is it actually at sun rise which would be 6.30 or something these days so that would change the calculation then that would mean the last third of the night begins a little bit later than the 1.30 we worked out so when is the end ibtida'u al-layl min ghurub al-shams wa la ishkala fi lakin intiha'u al-layl bi tulu' al-fajr aw bi tulu' al-shams al-jawab amma falakiyan fa inna al-layl yantahi bi tulu' al-shams if you're looking at it from the perspective of day and night, physically, then physically the day starts at sunrise, and that's when the night ends. Now sunrise begins. If you're looking at it like that, that's how it is. لِأَنَّ الشَّمْسِ مَا دَامَتْ مُوَاجَهَا لِلْأَرْضِ فَهُوَ النَّهَارِ فَإِذَا اخْتَفَتْ فَهُوَ لَيْلِ So physically... When the sun comes up, that's when night has now ended, light appears, sun comes up, day starts. So in that sense, night time finishes at sunrise, in that sense. But Islamically speaking, Islamically speaking, then we say that the night ends at Fajr time entering. Fajr time entering. But the question still is, here... Are we taking the physical timings, sunrise, or the, the Islamic understanding of the day which is at Fajr time? نقول هذا ينبني على قاعدة معروفة وهي أن خطاب شرع ينبني على المصطلح الشرعي أي على الحقيقة الشرعية So basically the Shaykh says, these texts, they are all placed into the context by default of Islamic understanding of things. So Islamically the understanding is that it is from the beginning of Fajr time, not at the actual time of the sunrise. So therefore, uh, we simply work out the equation as we did from sunset to Fajr time entering, divide it by three and take away that third from the sun. Uh, uh, Fajr time entering, and that is your last third of the night. That obviously means that the last third of the night will be a different period of time in winter and a different period of time in summer. It will be longer in winter, the third, and it will be very short in summer, and that's okay, nothing wrong with that. The last third of the night will be different lengths and at different times in different months and different seasons.
So the purpose of this narration again is what? The speech of Allah. Yes, we've discussed the issue of Allah descending, but it's the point of Allah descending and then saying, who is asking me and I will give them? Who is making the dua? I will answer them. Who is seeking forgiveness? I will forgive them. Allah says that. So it's an affirmation of the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again. We'll round off on that for today then. And that takes us to uh, maybe four-fifths of the book, 80%. Maybe up an optimistic 80% of the book, three-quarters at least, 75%. So inshallah ta'ala, next week as you know, is the Liverpool conference. So this class is again going to be a week off. Next week, the Liverpool conference beginning at Zuhr time, 12, 1 o'clock. There's going to be lectures all day. There's going to be telelinks. There'll be stalls outside, a proper one-day conference event. So try and take your friends and families across to Liverpool next Saturday. All-day event from Zuhr till late. Um, so this class will be off next Saturday for that. And then after that, which is April something? April the 6th. Um, that will be four Saturdays left to Ramadan. April the 6th will be the fourth Saturday out from Ramadan give or take, maybe the fifth. So then that will be probably a likely time with this break of the conference in between as well to start the Ramadan course for this year. If we start on the 6th of April, that will give us the 6th, the 13th, the 20th, the 27th, the 4th, the 11th, and the 18th. And then the last 10 days, there won't be any classes. That will give us seven sessions this year. Normally, we only do about four. Seven sessions, you'll be able to get a much more detailed uh, course on the fiqh of Ramadan. And as it appears, it's not going to be Bulugh al-Maram this year. Then we'll do something different as per the request. So seven sessions then from April. April is the final month before Ramadan. Ramadan starting the first week of May, basically. So next week, the conference. The week after that, we'll come back and we'll start off on the Ramadan course. Final four weeks leading into Ramadan. All of the various rulings about Ramadan. What you can do, what you can't do. The different laws of Ramadan. Detailed understanding of the fiqh of Ramadan. So that will be from the 6th of April, inshallah ta'ala. And by then, uh, it's going to be after Maghrib. Huh? The times change, what happens? So Maghrib will then be an hour later. So the class will be after Maghrib then in those days. But keep, uh, uh, keep uh, in, t uh, in touch with the, the social media and things and whatever else to find out what time the class is going to be on April the 6th. So April the 6th, we'll start with the Ramadan course, inshallah ta'ala. So again, invite your friends, family, others who don't regularly attend. They can attend that four-week course leading into Ramadan because the more a person has knowledge of what he's doing, of his worship, the better you can do that worship. 
a person has knowledge of Ramadan and fasting and the rulings, the halal, the haram, the laws, then you'll be in a better position when it comes to Ramadan. You'll have a better understanding of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you'll gain a lot more benefit from Ramadan by doing a course, learning about Ramadan and the details of it and the fiqh of it. You'll gain a lot more out of Ramadan by having that knowledge than somebody going into Ramadan blindly just not eating from Fajr to sunset and that's it. Ramadan isn't about just not eating from sunset to sun, uh, sun, uh, sunrise to sunset. There's a lot more to Ramadan, a lot more understanding and fiqh of Ramadan. So inshallah ta'ala from the 6th of April we'll start doing that and we'll have at least seven sessions inshallah ta'ala. So we'll round off on that for tonight then. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.